This is Alan. This is Matt. And we are back at the Vinyl Crawl, this time at the, what's the name of the pub? The Matt? Working Hour. The Working pub. Hour Pub. And our beer today is... This is where we do our best work. It is. At the it's the one hour, hour of the day that we do our best work after our nine to five job when we are throwing back beers. And the beer we're drinking today is called Zombie Dust from Three Floyds. Three Brewery Floyds. Out of Indiana, is that right? No. Yeah. Yep. Munster, Indiana. Munster, Indiana. And you're you're a pretty big fan of this beer, right, Matt? This is this is one of your go-to beers. I like this beer a lot. Yeah, I go to it whenever I can. It's <laughs> but you can't go to it all the time because it's not around all the time. Right. Distribution is I don't know, and our parts now it's every couple of months. It used to be like twice a year. So Yeah. And we're still working to get a lot of different craft breweries to come into this region. Right. It's getting better all the time, but Yeah. Still, still working to get some different ones. I think Three Floyds has been in for a while now. Mm-hmm. They've been, they've been providing beer to us for a while. But yes. this one's just a very specific beer that doesn't come in too often. Right. Yeah, and it's good. Technically a pale ale. Technically, yeah. Technically, even though it drinks a little more like an IPA. It does. Um, not as high on the alcohol content. About a six five. Which is nice. Yeah, it is. And it's really good about, um, and probably the, the lower alcohol count helps the bitterness on the end maybe a little bit. True. Because yeah. it sits on the palate really nice. It doesn't doesn't bite back very hard at all. No. It's super very, smooth. Very pleasant. Very pleasant. Pleasant's a great word to yes, describe it. Very pleasant. Which is makes it curious that they called it zombie dust for yeah. such a pleasant beer. You would think True. it would be kind of a little more hardcore with that kind of a name. Mm-hmm. I really like the artwork on the bottle. The um, artwork's awesome. Yeah, it's kind of like comic art. Maybe even dude kind of he looks like a superhero zombie kind of thing, like a hybrid. Kind of like if you took a zombie and Skeletor and mixed them together. It's kind of what True. he looks like. Yeah. Um it says on the bottle this intensely hopped and gushing undead pale ale will be will be one's only respite after the zombie apocalypse created with our marvelous friends in the comic industry art by Tim Seeley. So that's probably why the artwork's Seeley. so nice. God, yeah, Tim what Seeley. did he do? Did he do a bunch of Marvel stuff? Maybe. I, that name sounds familiar to me too, but I, I can't place it where I've heard it from. I don't know. That's why we talk music. Exactly. But it's <laughs> it's a fantastic beer. Um, if you can if you can find it, definitely grab a grab bottle. It. Highly yeah. recommended. Not too expensive, even. I mean, it's it's fairly no. you know mid range yeah. price wise. So, yep. Yeah. But I think you can only buy it by the bottle. Is that right? You can't get like a sixer of it. I don't think. Yeah, it's kind of few and far <clears throat> between. Probably depends on the area, but it does. In, in the this store. area, we can only get it two at a time. Two per person. Yep. So that's that's the beer that we're drinking, and the album we're talking about today is the nineteen eighty five Tears for Fears monumental release monumental monumental release songs from the big chair yeah which is one of my personal favorite 80s albums probably you know it probably makes that top five in my complete albums of the 80s yeah gotcha um and it and i haven't really looked to see in the 
the grand list of the top 100 albums of the 80s or 50 or whatever, yeah. I'm sure it's on there. You you would think it would be pretty pretty close to the top or near the top. Yeah, um, it should be. You know, it had looks like it had five singles. So yeah. I think the only big big singles maybe in the states that and you might correct me because I you know I wasn't around when the singles were that big, but uh, shout was pretty big because mm-hmm. it had the nice MTV play for that video. Right. Uh, Everybody Wants to Rule the World was absolutely huge. Yep. Like, just... Big. Yeah. Head Over Heels. Mm-hmm. Remember that getting a lot of play, I guess, back yep. when it came out? Yeah. It also had a video that was really intricate. Do you remember the video uh-huh. for it? Where yeah. they're in, like, a courtroom... Ca- or, no, a library. Is it a library? Yes, it was a library. And the scenes are always changing. Uh-huh. He's kind of, like, after a girl the whole time during it, and... I want to say that Alan Parker directed the video for it. I might be wrong. Could be. But it seems like uh, they did a they did a DVD, or not DVD at the time, a VHS. <laughs> a laser disc. <laughs> a laser disc or VHS called Scenes from the Big Chair. Yeah, that's right. It's a tour video documenting this huge like two-year tour they did in support yeah. of songs, or songs from the Big Chair. And I, I remember them. Uh, there's two guys that are the main guys in Tears for Fears. It's Roland Orzabal and Kurt something, Kurt Smith or something like that. Yeah, I can't think of his last name. But they pretty much front the album and write the music for it and and front the band and whatnot. <clears throat> and I remember them talking on that on that uh, scenes from the big chair about how that video was really like all the videos from this album are pretty spectacular videos and were mainstays on MTV. Yeah. Throughout the 80s. Well, and that and that was MTV at the time. Bigger is better. It's got to be this crazy elaborate type video and the most of the record labels I think would pay whatever money just to do like a mini movie yeah. practically is what it kept turning into. Right. Um they started getting actual directors to direct the music yeah, videos. It was instead crazy. Of, instead of just art projects, they turned into actual like mini movies yeah. that had plot and story and that, costumes and all uh, that. The book I Want My MTV. If if nobody's read, you've got to read that book if you're a fan of the '80s or what you know, just any of that stuff. It's a great book. Have you read it? I haven't. Yeah, mm-hmm. you need to read it. I should. That it's sounds great. right, Miley. It. Yeah, and then right after that. <clears throat> You take a small break, and you read the uh, Inside the VJ's companion. Oh book, yeah, which is even better. So yeah, that sounds really cool. Yeah, but it talks about this whole time period and the videos coming up, and then how it just kind of turned into, you know, okay, we did this last time, so we have to make it bigger. Yeah. And okay, so you know, we had a castle in this one, so we got to go. Right. Whatever, but. Um, yeah, they were big on MTV back then. And you know, when MTV came around, that's how bands started making their money was off their exposure through MTV. Yeah. So it had yep. to be grand. Because if, if your video wasn't amazing, then you're not going to sell the what, single. Yeah, that's but, true. So, so I come into this album a little bit differently than you do probably. And, and I'm going to wrap this around into 80s music in general because I think this is a prime example of what I like about 80s music. Yeah. So I think everybody that didn't grow up in the 70s as like a teenager in the early to mid 70s 
comes into Led Zeppelin somewhere around 12, 13 years old. Yep. To where Led Zeppelin becomes a big, if you like music, Led Zeppelin at some point in your life will right. become a big part of your life. Yeah. And you'll drink the Kool-Aid and you'll listen to one, two, three, four, physical graffiti, house of the Holy. <laughs> and you will think that this is rock and roll music and everything else. Drum machines, synthesizers is bullshit. And it's yeah. not real. If yeah. it's not the blues, if it's not Rolling Stones, Keith, Keith, Keith Richards, if it's not Jimmy Page, if it's not these rock gods, then yeah. it's bullshit. I think everybody goes through a phase like that. Yeah, where Zeppelin is the greatest band ever. Right. Now, what might make my view of it a little different than yours was you were growing up in the 80s and a teen in the 80s, whereas yeah. I was a teen in the 90s. So my teenage years was grunge was cool and 70s you know classic rock, classic rock yeah. was cool everything else was bullshit and 80s music was bullshit to me as a kid because yeah. all i heard was sparkling production <laughs> and drum machines <laughs> and synthesizers and you know zeppelin dabbled in synthesizers a little bit later on but we don't yes they you know did. as a kid i was like i'm not gonna talk about that i'm not gonna listen to that album <laughs> right i'm gonna listen to physical graffiti i'm not gonna listen to into the outdoor so yeah. but when i got into my 20s and I was like, okay, now I'm kind of really tired of new metal, grunge, all these things that I've grown up with. I need to you were dig. Depressed yeah, all the time. Basically, cutting myself daily. <laughs> you had to go see the doctor for <laughs> but, meds, right? But I had to once I started getting into vinyl a little heavier. And you know, your main market of vinyl is the '80s. That's when they were pumping oh, yeah. it out. They were yep. just pumping all the vinyl they could. So you get inundated with all this stuff, like there's got to be some good stuff to listen to. And it was pretty cheap to buy used, right. too. So it's like, well, I'll try this. I've heard about this. Oh, here's this band, you know. Right. Late 90s, early 2000s, I could still buy vinyl fairly scoop cheap. Scoop it up. Right. Two ninety nine. So I want to say that I started coming around to 80s music when I started getting into Genesis and then into Peter Gabriel. Because I liked his 80s stuff a lot. Because I was like, you know, he's he's using synthesizers, drum machines, but he's using it with world music and he's using it in interesting ways. And I'm saying to look past Sledgehammer and Steam and things like right, that yeah. into more like Digging in the Dirt or Blood of Eden mm -hmm. or um, or what we were talking about earlier with Red Rain, Red or, Rain. or even That's In Your right. Eyes. Yeah. Uh, especially the live version of In Your Eyes Classic. when he had like the actual African yeah. dude singing with oh, him. Man. It's amazing stuff moving powerful stuff so then out of sight of that i started getting into like kate bush so there's like a prog yeah there's a prog line i'm going through a little, here little bass but wait you skipped over the phil collins genesis uh, yeah see i didn't <laughs> i didn't go down that dark and stormy path right. too far past like duke duke is okay yeah. but I, I gotta stop after that so i get into kate bush i dig into hounds of love I hear running up that hill for the first time, and it's like, you know. Boom. Yeah. Mind head, blown. Head exploding. Yeah. And then I hear cloud busting, and then I hear um, Hounds of Love, the song, and mm -hmm. then I like, and then I hear the album. I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. Why did why have I never heard this? Why right. as a kid? And it's because, you know, I, I'm going to. I'm going to put a plug in for like D93 and radio stations like that. They don't play those things. Right. They If they play something from the 80s, it's something from Def Leppard. Sure. It's something from one of those bands. Well, that's And that's what's more accessible to a larger audience. Right. You know, when you were in your um, 90s as a kid, you couldn't even really digest Hounds of Love. That's true. 
you very wanted true. to hear more. I don't know what Alice in Chains, yeah. Monster Magnet. Oh yeah, yeah, all know, that. Let's all, rock. All of the above. Yeah. Yep. And you know, if you're on that, if you're on that path of let's rock, what are you going to listen to? You're going to listen to Def Leppard. You're going to listen to Kate Bush. You're going to go hysteria, yeah. pyromania all day. Right. So. So I dive into to Peter Gabriel. I dive into Kate Bush. I get all that in my head, and then I finally come back around to Tears for Fears. Yeah. And talk talk. Right. And I'm like, which was oh, probably good. Yeah. Because at that point you were ready. I think it's kind of the only way you can get to it for somebody my age. Yeah. I don't think you can dive straight into this talk talk album. No. Because. Everybody wants to rule the world as a cool single and it's a cool song. And we've all, everybody's heard that a million times growing up infomercials on TV for like eighties <laughs> hits was everybody right. wants to rule the world and shout it was. on repeat. Yeah. But it, but, and that's all I knew of tears for fears. So then I get this album at the record store and I put it on and I'm like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah. There's a concept here. They've worked it out. It all, it all fits. Like all these songs are about something. Uh-huh. They're about the environment. They're about Thatcher era England. They're about, you know, nuclear destruction. Like they're all about these huge important topics. But if you just heard everybody wants to rule the world, you'd never know that. Right. Yeah. And that's why I think this album is so important as an eighties album because as much as we shit on 80s music, this is this is 80s <laughs> hey, that's music. You talking, yeah, I know, not me. <laughs> I know. As much as people my age, yeah, I should rephrase. Right. Yeah. And younger. Well, I don't know, younger maybe even are a little more accessible to 80s than, than my age, but I think that it's unfair to shit on this just because you might think the production is a little too slick. Because but I think this, that was the time. Because that was the time, but I also think musically there's a lot of really cool stuff going on on this oh, album. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, well, and that's the great thing when you talk about the story that it paints, but yet it's accessible enough to where you pick out one song and it's a hit. Yeah. You know, I mean, it. And the best albums really were, they were, you know, with Hounds of Love, you had Running Up That Hill that was a huge hit. Mm-hmm. With Peter Gabriel's So, you had In Your Eyes that was a huge hit. Right. You know, all of these great albums had little bits that were huge hits. Yeah. And that's what kind of made them awesome was, you know, you could put the album on probably back in the day. You probably answer a little bit better to this than I could. But if you're with your probably less prog minded (laughs) girlfriend or date, you can put in your eyes on and they're cool with it. Yes. But you get to like Red Rain and they can can still deal with it because they like in your eyes so much. Right. Yeah. Or that's like, hey, play that in your eyes song again. Let's hear that again. Yeah. But did did you like this album back then at all? Well, it's... And I've thought about this today, actually, when I listened to it. It's not that I did not like the album. I don't think I ever really listened to the album outside of the singles. Saw the videos all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, when we were, when we were talking in the beginning, you said it came out you know, February, 1985. Right. I thought, man, I remember. Well, the singles were from 84. Right. They were pushing the singles the year before. I remember it like mid early 84, but 83, 84, 85, all the same year, really. Yeah. At that point, you know? Um, so I remember those singles all the time, but 
an album like this was not really what I was listening to at the time, nor my friends, even the the people I was hanging out with, you know, that liked The Cure, Depeche yeah. Mode. It even didn't fit into there, which it should have. It's Somewhat. Made, yeah. Um, I mean, it could have been a little bit more. I would hesitate to call it like alt rock at all. It's, and it's not really... It, it could almost be more college rock because this album, to me, as a high schooler, I don't know how you could really digest it and know what they're talking about. Yeah, you know, it is pretty high level. I, I shit. mean, it's it's pretty, and even uh, the, from the musical standpoint, there's like R and B, there's jazz, there's yeah. pop, you know, there's rock. I oh, mean, there's there's a ton of jazz on the album. There's percussion. I mean, it's all yeah. kinds of. So, to me, looking, you know, on the outside now, it's more. Seemed like it was geared more toward the college type crowd and mid twenties or something like that, to where it's a little bit. It's really highbrow pop music. Yeah, like you know while. Duran Duran was hungry like the wolf. Yeah. You know, and doing videos about running through, you know, they're running through a jungle and shit. This comes on and, you know. They're talking about important things. Gets thrown in to that same mix. Well, and I think. that pop side of it. I think Everybody Wants to Rule the World was kind of their biggest asset and like their worst enemy with this album. Because I know that song was an afterthought. It wasn't even really supposed to be on the album. They just were like, okay, let's record it because some people like it, so let's record it. They didn't really like it that much themselves, which is kind of funny, but it also speaks volumes to the album. Sure. Because nothing else on the album is like everybody wants to rule the world. But yet it fits right in in the flow of the album. Which, I guess concept-wise, what they were trying to do with the album was they watched a a movie, I, I believe it was a movie or a book one, called The Big Chair, yeah, that was about psychology and mm-hmm. some things like that. So, or psychiatry. So they decided we're going to write a concept piece that each song has the wraparound of psychiatry or something, or something from the the movie. So that's that's why the songs all work together as a cohesive piece. But yeah, it's not like a linear story. They're just all around the same idea, kind of like Dark Side of the Moon, where everything's yeah, everything's around you know madness and whatnot. But they're all individual pieces. Sure. Yeah. So. That kind of brings me to another point, and I was going to see if you'd agree with this. Outside of maybe the 50s going into the 60s, the 80s were probably one of the most confusing times in pop and rock music <laughs> that we've had so far. Yeah, I mean, there was a, cl- a definite clash uh, against, you know, pop, uh, metal, yeah. The glam side, the college alternative side. I mean, it was... Well, and in popular music, to me, it seems like the beginning of the 80s was, you know, the 70s are dinosaurs. We want to get away from those guys. We want a, a hip new sound. You know, they these guys saw what David Bowie had done in Berlin. They saw all this stuff that Brian Eno was doing with synthesizers. They're like, okay, this is the new hip thing. Let's all kind of work towards that. And that was kind of starting that new wave thing. Right. Mixing, yeah. mixing the, the synthetic experimentation with punk rock. 
mix those two things yes. together and, yeah. and you get some new wave stuff. But now we're in the mid eighties to where people don't want to be so avant garde that, that it's unlistenable. They want the pop hooks, but with the synthesizers and the, and the experimentation. And I think that's where you get something like this album and you get something like color spring and you get something like yeah. hounds of love. I think, and so I think those albums all come out of, we want to push the envelope musically, but we don't want to run so far from our pop hooks and songwriting. And a lot of that stuff got overshadowed by production, production, but the other clash of like Miami vice. Yeah. Um, you know, Phil Collins, Genesis. And that's that's a whole other thing metal. because that was you know that Motley when money Crew. got involved when money came yeah. in that's when those things came yes. in yeah which is what's funny is it's kind of what these guys are going against this is more counterculture than right. that. right oh yeah you it's, know well they found an educated way to kind of get their foot in the door by slicking it up a little bit right pop wise but yet we have this, uh, these ideas and this movement that we want to get out to the people. Yeah. Essentially. I mean, it's a, it's a short album. It's only eight songs. And if you go down the list, shout is environmental awareness. Yep. The working hour is workers rights. Basically everybody wants to rule the world is kind of that one that's out there. That's a pop single that really doesn't necessarily, it has those themes, but it doesn't push them so hard, you know, away from the, the main hook of the song and everybody can get behind the, everybody wants to rule the world chorus like that. Everybody it's like can born sing, in the USA. Everybody can sing that cause it's fun. There's a message, but, but then you get the mother's talk, which is interesting because it's a take on, the nuclear holocaust from the british animated film when the wind blows i don't know if you ever saw that in the 80s but there was an animated film called when the wind blows that had david bowie did a song on it roger waters did a song on it it was kind of a um it's about this old man and old woman living in a house and the nuclear thing happens yeah. and it's really neat little art hmm. art piece but they watched that and then wrote mother's talk and had that line in about when the wind blows. That's what they're talking about is the the animated movie. Right. So that had a profound effect on them. And then I believe is kind of like a down-tempo jazz piece. I believe is one of the strangest songs on the album. Very much so. You know, it could fit on a Joe Jackson album like what we were talking about <laughs> earlier. <clears throat> I mean, it's it's yeah. piano and jazz and, right. you know, yeah. It's, yeah. it's hard to define. It really doesn't. But then you get out of that into Broken, which you're kind of getting into the second half of the album now on, mm -hmm. on the vinyl. And Broken's like probably the most rocking thing they have on the album. It's just, you know, electric guitar, bass. It's got a really awesome yeah. bass line yeah. that leads into Head Over Heels, which is if you, if you had a power ballad on the That's album, that'd be the, the power one. ballad. That's the one. Beautiful song. Beautifully done in Donnie Darko in that movie head mm -hmm. over heels was great in that movie. And then at the end of head over heels, it cuts back in the broken, the live version of broken. That's so, and it's wild how they do that. And it flows perfect. It works. It yeah, flows perfect. It works. It's, it's great. And then listen is like some sort of almost Eno piece. Like 
It's very minimalistic mm-hmm. with just a few chords that kind of yep. sway in and out. With very some, moody. Yeah. Yeah. And that ends the whole thing. It to me, it flows like a perfect album. Like oh, it does like a like a great talk talk album. Yes. But if you think about being a fourteen or fifteen year old buying it because you love everybody wants to rule the world and you buy the album and listen to it. It's like, what the hell? This has two good songs on it and that's it. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, that was kind of the, I don't want to say the mentality, but it was at this time period, it was a very singles driven time. And I fell into the trap before listening to the album of thinking that, Oh, well everybody wants to the world shout. I mean, those are the two. Yep. That I'm going to know. Yeah. But man, when you, when you listen to that whole album and it's not incredibly long, it's only maybe 40, 40 some minutes, 50 some minutes. If that, yeah, it's an incredible listening experience Mm -hmm. all the way through. And it's hard to just turn it off when you kick on the first track. It's one of those that you might as well just let it run because it's, it's great. Yep. But so out of those songs, which one do you kind of go back to? You think that, that you like the most? Um, I really like that head over heels broken with the broken before. I like that whole sequence going on, but I think my favorite song on it is probably the working hour. And the saxophone at the beginning doesn't hurt anything either because it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And what's funny is it, it still has the Miami vice feel like when the sax (laughs) hits, you can see, you know, Crockett and Sonny and yeah. Tubbs. Right. What was it Tubbs? Was it Croc- Crockett and Tubbs? Crockett and Tubbs, yeah, yeah. There we go. But you can see them driving the car and the city lights and the neon and you can see all that Nobody when that saxophone hits. Yeah. It's that eighties overly produced sax sound with like it's like a dark night and rain and it's they should have used that instead of you belong to the city in Miami Vice. <laughs> <laughs> you know or <laughs> Was Smuggler's Blues, was that Miami Vice too? It was, but you can't touch Smuggler's Blues. <laughs> That's probably one of the best damn episodes on Miami Vice. Okay. Next to like the Gene Simmons one. Oh, that was man. pretty good too. Phil Collins was great too on it. Yeah. He... Smuggler's Blues episode though is the jam. Okay, I'll, I'll leave that one alone. I'm not going to touch yeah. that one because okay. I haven't seen it, so I, I, yeah. I can't comment on That's it. That's good. I just know the song and I'm not crazy about the song. <laughs> but That's okay. That's okay. (laughs) Wasn't that Glenn Fry? It was. Yeah. May he rest in peace. (laughs) 